This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Victorian horseman John Sadler has had a remarkably diversified career as a professional trainer. He's trained in Dubai, in Singapore. He's had two separate stints under the Aquanita Racing Banner. He had a four-year training partnership with Troy Corstens and a lengthy period as private trainer for Lloyd Williams at Macedon Lodge. John has had to deal with two major issues in his life in recent years. Firstly, a debilitating bout of depression, followed by the ramifications of a clash with Chief Steward Terry Bailey at the height of the Aquanita racing scandal, which resulted in the disqualification of several trainers and Aquanita employees. John Sadler felt he was harshly treated during the ongoing investigation and lost his cool when stewards ordered the scratching of one of his horses from a Group 3 race. He had to wear the indignity and the frustration of a six-week suspension, but all of those things are behind him now and he's getting on with doing what he does best, and that's training racehorses. I've got him on the line. Great to talk, John Sadler. And and to you, Tappy, as always. Well, you're a free agent again, mate. No ties, no connections, just Jay Sadler horse trainer. I bet that yeah. feels good. It does, it does. It's uh, I'm, I'm out on my own now and um, uh, really enjoying it, probably enjoying training at the moment, John, more than I've ever enjoyed it. And um, I think you, you'd never never get too old um, in this caper. It's just a matter of if you retain that passion for it. And uh, um, I, I feel at the moment, and I'm really fortunate to be able to say this, that uh, you know, I've, I have got that passion and I'm really enjoying it. About 30 in work, John? Yeah, that's that's my, that's my tops for me and yeah. that's how many we've uh, uh, we've got. I'm, I wouldn't say um, I've got an overload of horses. Um, I haven't got a great deal of horses out in the paddock. Probably to, to uh, serve those numbers in work, you nearly need the same numbers uh, either out um, – uh, spelling John or pre-training, but um, uh, you, you know, can always do with with a few more horses. But mm. certainly, since uh, I've made the announcement that I have gone out on my own, um, um, you know, quite a few owners have responded positively to that news. Great, good to see observational win at Flemington on Anzac Day. Right on the line, he looked like he could have gone around again. Yeah, he did. Um, uh, yeah, good Good to get him back, John. He was, he's a horse that he, he hadn't won for a considerable amount of time, um, just short of two years, I think, mm. or it may have been a fraction more than two years. But he, um, I think his last win actually was a little over two years ago in, in the Easter Cup at, um, at Caulfield when young Tom rode him. But um, uh, he, he actually, we had a lot of... Uh, feet issues with the horse and um, my farrier John Bunting decided that he said you're going to have to give this horse a very good break, cut his foot right back and try and pretty much grow a a brand new foot on him Mm. which we did and um, he's sound now as we've ever had him so I I don't think that that was his last win last Thursday John. You made quite a statement at that big Super Saturday meeting at Flemington in March with a double 
super hard and simply invincible, it was almost like you were holding up a placard, Jay Sadler is back. (laughs) Look, that was a very, very good day. Um, It's, you know, a big day. Uh, Of course, those the the first two races that I did win weren't uh, the main events on the card, but it was just... um, uh, with knowing the situation that um, I was leaving the old business and going out of my own, um, you know, it needs a bit of advertising and uh, there was no better way to advertise than uh, to be winning on the track, John. Your background is an interesting one. You spent your early life in Tarang in the Western Districts. Tarang is a galloping town and a trotting town and you've always enjoyed the harness racing. Yeah, love the harness racing. We were uh, just people in Tarang. I mean, in, in those back, in, you know, I'm 64 now, so going back to uh, the late 50s and the six early 60s, mm. um, uh, it was a it was a great event whenever whenever there was a trotting meeting on, and uh, usually they were held of an evening. So it was um, it was a night us a night out for us young people who uh, weren't used to getting or to, used to getting much entertainment. So uh, just always look forward to the trots. Um, um, a lot of the young blokes went there to meet up with the birds and um, <laughs> and get on the drink. And But I, I, I can say I was sort of – I enjoyed a bit of a punt and, and loved looking at the horses and um, really, you know, grew up loving the trotting game. Are you telling me – that the Tarang Trots was a pickup joint. It certainly was. I can, there's a there's a big a big basketball stadium there that was the 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 um, it was huge actually probably four to six courts and and that's where the the bookmakers would congregate and mm. must have been sixty of them at least, John. Good. Heavens. And also the the tote window and to get into that area, I can remember as a kid almost squeezing between people's legs. Goodness. It was just chockers the, yeah. the whole place and uh, just a fantastic feel about the, about the whole the whole event. Yeah, that's the way it was at all trotting tracks in that era, uh, particularly yes, yes. Harold Park in Sydney. You couldn't move in the place in the middle of imagine. winter, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were lucky enough to see all that, John. I was calling the trots in that era and I can remember the there wasn't a car park space anywhere on Friday nights at Harold Park. Yeah, well, and... And we're talking about now Tarang, you know, a, a, uh, a township of 2,400. And I can me- remember, you know, the car parks would be full. You, if if mm. you didn't get there half an hour before the first, you had no hope. So yeah. you, you'd just parked on the side of the road, you know, maybe uh, maybe a, a kilometre or more from the track. Yeah, and hike to the track. Yep. Your dad, Lindsay, was instrumental in getting you interested in racing. Lindsay died in 1993 at the age of 95. We'll talk yeah, about he, we'll talk about mum later, but many yeah, years well, earlier John, he was a regular at the races and you tagged along. Yep. He's um uh geez, I, you know, I hold him in high regard. Um he was a champion man, um very simple simple man, great farmer John. Great farmer, um, very successful, 
and uh, highly respected in in the Terang district. Um, I can remember as uh, I came along very late. In fact, they uh, um, mum and dad had pretty much had their family, and I came along about eight years after um, uh, the second last child, Helen, was born. And um, I've been told quite a few times that I, that I was a mistake, and that mum and dad <laughs> were that embarrassed about. Uh, having another child at that particular age, of course, John. Mum mm. was forty-seven, and these days were the days when uh, women had, had finished having their children in in either late twenties or early thirties. So, yeah. um, you know, I was told later in life that mum, mum, and both and dad, even more dad, so that they were going to leave town. They were that embarrassed about it. Mm. But um, anyway, they didn't. <laughs> thank goodness. But um, yeah, I. I, I Grew up as a as a uh, you know a little boy heading off to the races with my father who loved it but certainly didn't want me to involved and, and yeah. or be involved definitely didn't want me to be involved and was pretty distraught when I decided to uh, make it my profession but um, it didn't stop him from getting behind me and uh, and and helping out as much as he could but mm. just a, a a wonderful wonderful human being. We must pay tribute to your remarkable mum, Mary, who died only last year at the astonishing age of 110, 25 years after the passing of your father. And, John, I think she had her faculties right to the end. Yes, she did. She was um, uh, just, uh, you know, a a marvellous woman, Um, Bit tougher. Dad was a dad was a bit of a softy. Mum was pretty tough. She was the the tough one of the partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was the one that took me to the trots. She loved the trots, and um, she'd go there and meet her sister Bessie at the, and they'd have a great night together. Twenty five cents each way on this, or two bob each way, as it probably was in those days. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she she saw uh, she saw two world wars. And um, uh, just v- very late in life, even in her hundreds, um, she would um, she'd come to the races, and you know people would pull up a chair to have a chat to her, and you, you'd walk away to saddle your horse and come back probably two hours later, mm-hmm. and they'd still be there listening to her. You know, they Goodness would just me. yeah, because yeah. she could remember it all. She just um, uh, her mind didn't deteriorate at all, John. So mm-hmm. she was able to relate all these great stories of the past. I recall reading some time ago that just a few years ago she was still playing the piano for the entertainment of the nursing home residents. Yeah, that's true. She played Happy Birthday on the hundred and tenth, and as she Did used she? to say, she used to say she'd try and uh, it's a piano playing term, but stay out of the cracks. <laughs> And uh, I presume I know what they meant, but um, yeah. so right till the day she died, she was always said she was trying to stay out of the cracks. John, Goodness she me. She still played a good tune at 110. Yeah, I'd love to have heard her, John, because she'd have played a lot of my kind of songs. <laughs> I'm sure she would have. You spent four very happy years at the Chanel College in Geelong where your friends included three sons of the well-known Flemington trainer Pat Burke and the boys invited you to spend some time at Pat's stables during holidays and that's when the spark was ignited. 
Yeah, gee, that's very, very well put, John. I that's exactly what happened, and um, uh, there was certainly something smouldering away with me as far as the racing game was concerned. But um, when uh, there was Phil, Phil Burke, um, uh, who's still a good friend of mine, Phil, I speak to him. He's out of the game now, but I speak to him probably three or four times a week, um, his brother Billy and Peter, who unfortunately passed away um, with an accident many, many years ago. I was a very young boy, actually, but I was at school with them and um, and Phil asked me if I'd like to go and spend a, a long weekend. It was the Queen's birthday long weekend where the races were at Flemington on the Saturday and the Sunday. And i got to say, after that weekend, I was just totally hooked on racing. I All I wanted to do was be a jockey. Um, and, um, you know, I suppose that was the end of school for me from the point of view of thinking about schoolwork because all I thought about was racing uh, after that weekend right through until the time I left and um, went back to the farm for a while before I got involved in the horses. In the late 1970s, you couldn't stand it any longer. You were busting to train a galloper or two. So to use an old show business term, you went off Broadway to get started. You bought a little property at Colac and you kicked off with three horses, John. Where did they come from? Well, they came from um, actually one of them was a, was a yearling by always there that, that Dad had bought. Um, uh, my wife then, Joan, who um, I, I still have a great relationship with, um, uh, her stepfather and mother, they had, uh, they had a couple of horses um, uh, that gave, gave me a little bit of a kick off. They weren't much good. I bought a horse called Prince Ive actually from the Burks that had earlier in his career run fourth in a, in a Caulfield Guineas. And um, and then uh, the Burridge family, I was very good mates with Steve Burridge because he was apprentice to Pat Burke. So I met him when mm. when I was uh, working down at the Burks and uh, we bought a horse called Lucillo. And so I had a, he was a, you know, a bit of a hand an old handicapper that Bob Hoisted had once trained. And um, and in those days, John, in those early days, there was always on every meeting there'd be a, you know, a sprint and a handicap. Mm, that's so, right. So, so it was very important to have both those types of horses in your stable and, and they really were very uh, beneficial in the early part of my career. Your first winner was on your home track at Tarang. Was it a horse called Forever There? That was it. That's the horse that, um, by always there, the horse owned by Philip Ismail that uh, won a won a Victorian Derby. Um, he never turned out to be much as a stallion, but forever there, owned by my dad, who was a committeeman at Tarang, and mm. and uh, I think it was 1979. I got my license in in uh, now my. I, I think it was 79 or 78 anyway mm. um I uh he was my first winner for my dad on our home track so it was a, I can still remember it it was a huge thrill Tappy. couldn't have scripted it better couldn't have scripted it better yeah no but it was um uh I th- I think it was a year later that um with the horse he part owned Lucilla we always would have loved to have won a terrain cup and we won a terrain cup and there was a days yeah. John, when they used to, uh, at that particular New Year's Day, they had um, uh, a TAB double 
and um, the double was on the cup and the Peter Blank mm. sprint, and I was able to win the both. So uh, yes. it certainly gave me a big thrill. But Dave gave Dad an even bigger one. He was uh, mm. he was over the moon that particular day. First city winner, always a, a notable day, a notable occasion. Centra Bricius at Caulfield, and the jockey was your old friend Harry White. Yes, um, yes, that that was that's amazing. That was nineteen eighty two, John. Um, it was uh, it was uh, Boxing Day, Caulfield. I can remember. I think there was almost a bigger crowd there that day than was at the previous Caulfield Cup. Just amazing! You got what um, in that in that era. You either on on Boxing Day, Cap, you either went to the uh, the test at yep. the MCG, or you went to the Caulfield races. Mm. And um, I can remember finding it very hard. There was before we had the TV monitors to be able to watch on TV, uh, as we we can do now, but um, it was very difficult to get a spot to watch the race, but. Uh, when that horse won, I can't, I can't explain the thrill of it. You know, I don't know what mm. some of these drugs are like when you take them, Tappy. <laughs> but I tell you what, there's nothing better than winning, winning, training the winner of a race, especially at that stage to win a race in town. Um, I, didn't, I remember walking down the stairs. I couldn't feel my legs. I just floated. Yeah. One of your all-time favourites was a mare called Goblet. You bought her as a tried horse in Adelaide. She'd won only two races. You won another nine with her. She was a beauty for you. Yeah, she really was. She was the first um, probably class horse that I, that, that I had, John. Um, I can remember I, I used to, when I took, I took horses over to Adelaide for a fair while because they weren't good enough to win in Melbourne. So um, I started to take them over there and we were having quite a bit of success. Uh, and I used to stay at a fellow by the name of Philip Oates's place at, mm. at Morfordville, and um, I hadn't had a, a runner at Victoria Park, and I just said to him, um, would you have any videos of, of uh, these races at Victoria Park? So I, I watched quite a few of them, and I saw this particular horse on a couple of occasions putting in some big runs, and I said to him after it, I said, you know, do you know who owns or trains this mare goblet? He said, mm. um, and he thought he thought I was having a crack at him. He smiled, cynical type of smile, and I said, "What's wrong?" He said, "I do." I said, "Really?" You, you know, I said, "Is she in work at the moment?" He said, "Yeah, she's outside. Come and come and have a look at her." So mm. we bought her. Um, we bought her uh, for twenty seven thousand, John. Mm. Oh, the man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a fair bit at that time. Yeah. Um, she didn't have the greatest pedigree. She was by loving Jim. Mm. Um, anyway, to make a small story or a long story short, we um, we took her to Hamilton and the, back in the days when uh, the betting was very big and, and uh, really bet up on her. Um, a mate of mine, Ian Bell, uh, he bought her and um, he loved to have a bet and and. Um, Fortunately enough, she was uh, she was able to win and and not only win but win well, and she went to a next start and came down the outside of the the straight straight six at, at Flemington on her own with Harry White on board and she won mm. again and he, I think everything Bally won at um, at Hamilton he backed up with again at, at eleven to one at uh, at Flemington mm. and that was uh, just the, st the start of a really uh, good racing career for Goblet.
She won the Group 2 in Adelaide too, didn't she, the Queen she of did. the South? And that Queen was actually your first group winner, wasn't it? It, it, it was, John, yeah, the mm. first group win. Yeah, she was ridden by Paul Riley. Um, um, you know, it was it was a very good race and she used to step out and I, I we used to always ride her back, John, and um, uh, the first start she, she won, she, she won at Caulfield one day on Harry White Road, her, and um, I instructed him. I said, "I just want you to go back, Harry, and uh, and you know, be the the last one storming home." And and anyway, she jumped out and led, and uh, and led all the way. And Harry come back. He said, "Well, it was no good. Both of us pulling." So yeah. he, he said, "I let her go." And from then on, we found out that that was her best racing pattern. And uh, this particular day, when she did win the group. T- Group two, she led by a long, long way. At some stage, I reckon she was six to ten lengths mm. in front of them, and um, and and hung on and won well. Just get you to stand by, John, while we clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll be back after this. The 2019 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale was the second best ever conducted. Well over $122 million was traded over two days with 19 lots realising a million or more. 75 lots sold for $500,000 or more, up from 72 last year. Seven stallions recorded the highest ever individual sale price, including Schnitzel 2.8 million, Exceed and Excel 1.7 million, Lonro 1.4 million, Brazen Bow 1.1. The day one trade of almost 64 million was a Southern Hemisphere record for an individual day's yearling sale turnover. It was a huge two days at beautiful Riverside in front of an energetic buying bench from all corners of the globe. My special guest is John Sadler. Jolly old Mac got away to a good start in his three-year-old year. He won a maiden at Ballarat. He won a three-year-old at Flemington. And then at his fifth race start, he won a Group 3, the Standish Handicap with Darren Gauchy in the saddle. And wasn't he at the top of his game in that era, Darren Gauchy? He certainly was. He was a great rider, Gauch. Um, and, of course, uh, as you well know, Tappy, just a great bloke. You know, he, he was always humble, um, never never got out of it, Not a, never got ahead of himself. Um, he's the same now as he was then and um, just a, was, was probably going to be anything absolutely one of the all-time greats until he had a, a a shocking fall probably one of the worst I've ever seen yeah um, apart from apart from where a jockey's been killed mm. but it was it was as bad as you'd see he was he was pole driven into the ground it was at Yarra Glen mm. uh, I can remember the horse's name well a horse called strike the gong and um, you know there, there's certainly fears at that time held for his life I I, I I, I believe even though he came back and was still a champion rider, he never rode at that same level. I didn't think he was ever quite as good. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, out, outstanding, outstanding rider and outstanding bloke. Couldn't agree more. Well, Jolly Old Mac, following a freshen up, he ran second in the Debonair, second in the Autumn Stakes, and then the Group 1 Australian Guineas. And Gouch rode him in all of them. He did. He did. He um, uh, 
he was very good when he won the Standish, and um, uh, he was obviously a three-year-old at the time down in the weights. I think he carried about 51 and a half or 52. Um, I wasn't. I was in Perth, Perth in the having a runner in the Perth Cup that day. But remember watching it and um, uh, big thrill to win time on a race the Standish. Um, we weren't sure about him at, at a mile, but we decided to, to set him for the Australian Guineas. And um, uh, we went to the front that day on him. Um, there didn't look to be a lot of speed in the race, so we decided to lead. And uh, it, it was the right move. And he was able to just hang on, Tappy, mm-hmm. and beat, um, beat a horse that finished up being You'd almost call him a champion in naturalism. Oh, yeah. Um, and that day wasn't one of Shane Dye's best rides, and he sat three deep in a field of eight, thank goodness, because we wouldn't have won if he hadn't have. Mm. And, um, and Jolly Old Mate was just able to uh, to hold him at bay to, for um, my first Group 1 win. And he cracked another Group 1 later too, John, the Goodwood Handicap in Adelaide with Gregory Michael Hall on board. Yeah, a bit of a story to that, if you don't mind me telling you, Johnny. Um, on on the Friday night before um, before the Goodwood handicap, the day before, um, I had some friends that were involved or uh, played and were involved with the North Melbourne Football Club, and they were coming across uh, for the races on the Saturday and then uh, to go to the football. Um, on the uh, the following day, the Sunday, North Melbourne played Adelaide. And uh, so I had arranged to, to pick up my mate's wife at the airport and bring her back to, um, back to the casino. And um, while we're at the casino, we had a very late dinner. I was itching to get home. I, I, uh, I wanted to... You know, it was big deal in those days. It was always big deal to have a runner in a Group One, and wanted to be have a good sleep and be up bright and early. But I was asked to go to uh, the High Flyers room for a little while to meet a few people, which I did. As I walked in the door, John, I heard this loud voice <laughs> um, complaining about the run that he was having at the table and um, having a crack at the croupiers, and I thought. I said to my mate, Kerry Good, I said, by gee, that sounds like Greg Hall. <laughs> and he said, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be Greg, you know. And I said, geez, the sound of the closer we got, I said, it's mm. Greg Hall, okay. Yeah. So I walked up behind him and I put my hands on his shoulders, both hands on either side of his shoulders, squeezed his shoulders tight. Mm. We never spoke. He got up from the chair uh, didn't utter a word and walked out. We didn't speak again until uh, before he got on the horse. He handled hand, handed the saddle to me. Didn't didn't utter a word. He was just very very embarrassed and ashamed of himself. And then got on the horse and proceeded to just ride it like a demon. Oh, yeah. And it was. A outstanding effort, and um, and all he said when he came back, he said, "Jack, am I back in the good books?" <laughs> you said indubitably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. 
he's a terrific writer, Greg. He's he he really has had his ups and downs in life, but uh, he was uh, and cool in a crisis, John. Yes, he, you know you'd be there, nervy and towy. And he'd, he'd, he'd come out of the jocks room and he'd just really relax you. We'll be right. We'll be right, he'd say. We'll yeah. be right. This will be okay. Mm. Great and, temperament. Um, yeah, great temperament for, for, uh, for a jockey. Ken Vane was a good horse for you, John. He only had 13 starts. He won six of them. He won a Group 3 in Adelaide. He won an Oakley Plate with Jason Patton in the saddle. Good to be able to mention Jason's name again. He won a Group 2, the Stanley Wooden at Mooney Valley. Why did he only have 13 starts? Uh, he, he did um, – uh, I, I got the horse actually from David Belfer, John, after he ran in the um, the Blue Diamond Stakes, actually, the Blue Diamond Stakes that uh, one of the best horses I trained, Lady Jackie, won. Um, and David Belfer had made a decision to move from Adelaide to go to Singapore. And so um, uh, I'm – uh, Lyndon Burns, who was managing um, a German guy by the name of uh, Tom Simons, who later um, bought Vinery Stud, uh, hell of a good guy. Anyway, Lyndon was uh, managing his horses at the time and asked me would I be interested in training a couple of them, one, one of them being Ken Vane. And, mm. uh, gee, he was a good horse. He was very, very good horse. And um, uh, he did, you, you say he, he, he did injure a knee, John, in, the, in that Blue Diamond Stakes. I got him after he'd been rehabilitated. And um, he, he was a good, sound, lovely horse. They, he didn't race on because they decided to take him to stud. He wasn't, oh, mm. wasn't a success at stud, but um, I reckon he probably went to stud an early four-year-old. Mm. Um, probably only, from memory, he only raced at two and three, John. Yeah, probably just coming to his best and off he went. Yes, yes. And John, a bonnie filly called Lady Jackio. Again, like Ken Vane, lightly raced. 12 starts, 5 wins, 600-odd thousand. She was out of a filly, Food for Love, who'd run second in a golden slipper. Uh, Lady Jackie O won listed races at her first two starts, Greg Hall up. Then she had a little let-up. She came back in the autumn. She ran second at Sandown. She won the Diamond Prelude and then the Blue Diamond Stakes, again with your old mate in the saddle, Greg Hall. Yeah, it, that's um, – gee, you've done your homework, Tappy. I tell you, that's um, – um, that's they're great memories. Gee, they're great memories. So the, the, um, she, she, she was good, John. She was a good filly. Um, she had all that, that bit of crap in her that most of those good fillies <laughs> have got. And um, she, she was – she went to the races. Um, her owner at the time, Ron Cook, was uh, – had a, was my biggest owner by a long stretch. He had nine or ten horses uh, in in work at a time, and um, she was one of them. And I can remember we weren't having a good run at all uh, with Ron's horses, and he said, "Well, that filly be right for the two-year-old race on Oaks Day at, at Flemington." I said, "Oh, a bit early, Ron. A bit early." He said, "Look," he said, "What's the point in me having all these horses in work, and I can't even have a run a cup week." Mm. So we rushed her along, um, got her in the, I think it was the Bex Beer Stakes, it was called, the two-year-old yeah. fillies on the Thursday. 
And um, John, she won the race, uh, just won it, showed a ton of heart. Um, I, th- I think, uh, from memory, John, the first, second, and third horses were all by the, the same stallion, last tycoon, mm. and uh, which is some sort of a feat for a stallion. But I remember the the thing I remember mostly about that race was um, she she, re- she blew heavily for. 20 to 30 minutes mm. um, uh, after the race. Well, it was more like 30 minutes. Took her to recover, and I thought, well, this is either going to ruin her completely or she's going to come on a lot. And um, Fortunately, it was the latter, and she, you know, she went to her next start, the Gwyn Nursery at Caulfield, mm. and absolutely bolted in by about seven or eight lengths. And yeah. um, So we put her away to set her for the Blue Diamond. And after the Blue Diamond win, that familiar tune... Oh, them golden slippers was ringing in your ears. So it was off to Sydney, second a star of Nouvelle in the Risling. She struck trouble in that race too, but didn't run in the slipper. No, she. Uh, we went up to um, – uh, I, I, I made a, a pretty poor decision after the Blue Diamond that to work her the opposite way at Flemington. Mm-hmm. Um, and she worked with a horse that ran second to her in the Blue Diamond, a horse called Caltrice. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I wanted to just have a leisurely gallop at um, at uh, Flemington on the steeple grass, the uh, Sydney Way, and they went way too quick. And I think um, it 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 sort of it probably um, was one Bottomed of those now. Just really bottomed it, John, mm. and um, went up to Sydney. She ran, she ran reasonably well in the Riesling, and um, yeah. gave her a gallop at at uh, at Rose Hill on the Tuesday before the the slipper, and uh, she was pretty lacklustre, mm. and we just and you know, fortunately, did we pulled the pin right? Well, she was destined to have only six more starts. She won one more race, and it just happened to be the Group One Australia Stakes with Stephen King in the saddle. John, that was that was the the year that it was the great match race. That race, uh, Scalacci and Hariba, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we were actually we were a, a late nom in the race from memory, and because they they. That didn't get many nominations in the race because these horses, um, both these horses were really flying at the time, both very good sprinters and scared them off. Yeah, it scared them off. And Mm. um, look, uh, it it, it really went our way that day. She probably wasn't as good as them, but on that particular day, I don't think Hariba got the best of rides from Michael Clark, who was a great jockey at the time, but um, uh, she didn't. He didn't get the best of starts, and and actually, um, Scalacci was never at his best on really hot days. Mm. Um, and uh, this was a stinking hot day, you know, right up near the forties, and uh, I think that had an effect on him, and and. Um, uh, with with that, we were sitting back, Stephen King. I remember saying to Stephen King, "Look, just look at it as a track gallop, twelve evens, home six hundred. And if she can, if she can um, 
uh, fill, it, fill a hole, you know, will be absolutely wrapped. And coming to, the, mm. coming to the turn, I, I could see that she was certainly going to at least run a place. Yeah. And um, and the last two hundred, she went home over the top of them for uh, what would, what was certainly her best win, and a pleasant surprise at that. Well, very that con- much so. That concludes part one of our chat with John Sadler. We'll go to part two shortly, and John will pay tribute to more of his favourite horses, his training experiences in Dubai and Singapore, his time with Lloyd Williams, and the new owner who happened to buy him a Stradbroke winner. He also discusses a couple of low points in his life. Back with John Sadler shortly in part two. The focus of thoroughbred breeders will now centre on the English Chairman Sale and the Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale to be held at Riverside from May the 2nd. A magnificent collection of top-class mares will be offered. Group 1 winner Aloisia, dual Group 1 winner Srikandi in foal to American Pharaoh, Santa Ana Lane's Dam, Fast Fleet in foal to Zoostar, Inca Lagoon, Dam of Hong Kong champion I Victory in foal to Sebring, Group 2 winning mare Snitty Kitty, Norzita, champion three-year-old filly of her generation in foal to Schnitzel, Pasadena Girl, Savabeel's only Group 1 winning two-year-old filly in foal to Sebring. Fiesta's Dam, now now, in foal to Piero. Noondi, the Dam of Booker, in foal to Ridden Tycoon. Dash Off, the Dam of Sprite, in foal to I Am Invincible. Apology not accepted, the only mare in foal to Medagliadoro to be offered this year. So Serene, a winning Exceed and Excel mare in foal to Sebring. Netoya, a daughter of Sebring, being offered as a racing and breeding prospect. 53 lots and a few wild cards will be offered at the boutique sale commencing at 6.30 Friday, May 3rd at Riverside Stables.